Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. Welcome to Grilling at the Green After Hours, conversation that took place after the broadcast ended. Hi, everybody. It's JT, and this is a special version of Grilling at the Green. Grilling at the Green is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome to After Hours here on Grilling at the Green. This is the part of the show that does not get aired on radio, sometimes because of the questions, sometimes because of the answers, sometimes just because of the language. I'm not sure. But uh, Bob's been kind enough to stick around with us this week and um, go through this torture again. So I learned something the other day, Bob. I did not know that they had tunnels under Augusta National. They do. Yeah, I I, I didn't know. I knew about the, the, you know, the heating and cooling system, if you will, on the greens and all that kind of stuff. But I had never seen the pictures or the videos of the, the tunnels and, uh, you know, get rid of excess water, but also to get a equipment to different parts of the courses of the course i mean uh when they don't want to if the ground's soft they don't want to tear it up with a tractor or whatever i think that's fascinating is there any other little secrets that our listeners could learn about little anomalies at augusta nationals because every year one seems to slip out and they're, <laughs> they're not really forthcoming with it but it seems to come out yeah well um Deep in the bowels of the clubhouse is a place where only members can go with a guest where they keep um, the green jacket. Oh. And it's almost like a museum down there. Uh, and uh, that's very, very sort of guarded and not discussed very much. The most people know they have their own wine cellar right. beneath the club, which is, which is apparently quite robust. But uh, I didn't know until this year about this place about the green jacket and and uh, like it's a, they they I, it's almost like a little shrine like like I think they've got some info about you know where it came from and stuff like that and it's it's uh, you know it's amazing to think that they, they've got stuff beneath there but they do they've they've put some time and effort into into building a bit of a you know, an underground network to help them out for the reasons you said. I mean, there's a big tunnel that goes under Washington Road between the club and the TV center, the big TV compound that they built a few years ago. There's some tunnels on the course that that get the media and players around a little quicker. Um, and all of that stuff has probably been done within the last 10 years. Wow. Do when you talk about the media getting around, do they make you walk or can you hitch a ride on a golf cart if you're if you're at the clubhouse and you want to go over to number six or something, can you hitch a ride or do you just have to shuffle through the tunnels? No. Well, you got to actually walk on the course to get out there. Okay. From the clubhouse. But there is, 
there is a um, the media center is at the back of the driving range, and it's a little bit of a hoof from the golf course. It's, I mean, what they do is they'll shuttle you to the golf course in the media center. It takes about ninety seconds, two minutes. But if you were walking that, it would be probably ten minutes. Right. So you know maybe fifteen. So it's it's just to cut down on a little bit of time. Uh, that's that's the and 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 they'll they'll drop you off near the driving range too. But that's about it. Bob, what's your favorite part about covering the Masters? Probably just the allure of the place. Yeah. You know, no, knowing how hard it is, what how much it means to people to be there, to get to go. Uh, it's such a bucket list item for people. Um, it's one of those few places where you you have high expectations and they're met or exceeded. You know, sometimes you build something up and then you're maybe a little disappointed. Wow, that wasn't as good as I thought. Right. You know, um, I remember years ago, the first time I went to the Orange Bowl, which no longer exists, but the first time I went, you know, they had had five Super Bowls there. It's where the Dolphins played. It's where the University of Miami played. And the first time I went there was not impressive at all. It was it, it was a very old, decrepit stadium. And I had sort of built it up in my mind. You, you go to Augusta, most people can't wait to get there. And I don't know. I don't know too many who are disappointed when they see it for the first time. I Yeah. I, uh, I've told the story before about a friend of mine who was a Titleist rep up here. And when he was retiring, part of the deal for that retirement was they took him to Augusta. And, you know, the stories of you'll never see a weed or you never see a piece mm -hmm. of paper on the ground. And he uh, reiterated that with me. He said he walked up, he and his wife walked up and they put their chairs down and there was an older guy there. And they were kind of discussing between themselves if they should leave anything there. And the, the gentleman said, no, you can leave it. Nobody will bother it. He goes, and I'm here. Nobody will bother it. Dick <laughs> said, uh, well, we're going to go walk around. We've never been here. And the guy looked at him. He said, see if you can find a weed anywhere. He goes, if you do, let me know. He said, I've been coming to this thing for 40 years. And uh, I've never seen a weed on this property. And Dick said, they looked all over creation and they could not find one so um those guys are really uh really doing it and you know van sickle told me that you won't see a bird there uh <laughs> yeah but i saw the thing where they actually um they have a hawk or they had brought in some hawks to keep the the other birds away uh i don't know if that's valid or not but anyway i just find these little these kind of little innuendo stories kind of very interesting. Yep. It's pretty, pretty wild in that regard. Each yeah. New place. Do you remember the first time you covered it, how you felt about it? Were you in awe when you went in? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. You know, I was a young guy first time, you know, um, probably didn't know as much as, as I should have, but I certainly was aware that, it was a neat place and to get to go there was pretty cool. And uh, yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't wait. And uh, you know, I think it's still the same way now. I still always look forward to going there. I, I maybe now look forward to leaving a little bit more. It's, it's a, it's a long week. It's a trying week. Uh, busy. There's a lot of rules there, um, you know, which look, it's their place. That's fine. But some of them are, you know, some of them are a little um, prohibitive for us. Yeah, it gets, you know, it gets so that gets a little tiring, I'd say, but but it's just it's part of it. 
And, uh, but uh, there's, you know, overall it's, it's hard to complain about anything about the masters. So if um, Fred Ridley came up and said, Bob, we're going to let you play tomorrow and you get to pick one of the pros to play with, who would you pick? Hmm. Good one. Who would I pick? Uh, boy, somebody that would probably, that would, I would feel comfortable playing with. Um, you know, so in other words, it'd be hard to play with a guy like Tiger yeah, or, or Rom, you know, maybe Spieth, you know, um, I don't think he'd judge me. Right. Yeah. Uh, somebody like that. Um, uh, I just, I just think, uh, somebody that you just would enjoy, have a good time. Gary Woodland, another great guy, you know? Be fun. Be fun to just get to do that, even though you're going to be embarrassed. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I kind of looked at um, – I've thought about that, and uh, I think Rory would be fun. Sure. <clears throat> to be around for four yeah. hours, you know. No doubt. And I don't think he'd give you a hard time if you sculled a shot or something. I no, think. he wouldn't. He might give it to you later, but not oh, then. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, if you were going to give some advice to people that had an opportunity to go and not through the ticket lottery, they, they actually had an opportunity to get, you know, badges or whatever. And they did, what would you tell them? How would you tell them to prepare? Well, first of all, I, I usually tell people if you're going there for the first time, get out there and walk the entire course with no mind to who's playing mm -hmm. walk it from one to 18. If you want start at 10 and do it the other way, just go see every hole. In fact, if you can do that with no players on the course, you're doing yourself a treat, get a sense of the, how the, what the holes look like in person, see where everything is. It's the one course we all know because we've seen it so often. Right. So go do that. Go, go look at it, go check it out. Because if you're waiting for the fans to be out there, it's harder to see it, you know, um, and then, you know, I would pick like each day, pick a bleacher that you'd want to sit in and watch a bunch of groups come through and enjoy it. Just sit there and relax. Trying to follow people is hard. A lot yeah. of people hard to see much. So that that's, that's sort of my, my standard advice to people. How much money did you spend in the merch merch tent this year? I think I kept it under 500. That's Sometimes good. I've gone higher. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, so. that's, um. Uh... Uh, I like I said I've never been there, but I've heard all kinds of stories. Like at times it's just elbow to elbow in there, looking right. at hats right. and shirts or whatever you're going to buy. What does a day for for Bob Herrig look like when you go to the Masters? I mean, I've covered golf tournaments, most of them out here on the West Coast, and I know what happens. But Masters is a little different. So, what mm -hmm. does your day look like? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, uh, it can vary, but. Uh... If I start with like last Thursday um, and knowing that one of my assignments was going to be to kind of keep an eye on Tiger, um, I wanted to be sure I was there when he got there. Right. So he had a 10, 18 tee time. Tiger usually shows up an hour or so before. So I made sure I was there before nine and um, I went out to the driving range and watched him warm up for as long as I could. Uh, I watched him on the putting green a little bit before he teed off. Um, I did watch him tee off on number one. And then there was such a huge crowd. I knew it was going to be impossible to follow along. 
So I went back to the media center and I followed his round. You know, they, they have a shot tracer thing in our computers in the media center. I kept track of what he was doing. I watched some of the broadcast, um, you know, was able to keep up with what other people are doing. One of the, one of the hardships at Augusta is we cannot ever phone on the course. Right. And, you know, it's amazing how much we've, how much we've come to rely on that, but that's, you know, when I'm at another golf tournament, I'll have my phone with me. I can follow what's going on. I, you can't do that there. So you got to kind of spend some time inside. And, uh, and then when he's getting ready to finish, I make sure I'm out there to, inter- to be part of the group that's interviewing him, come back in, write my story about him, and then find somebody else. Might go to the, there's a flash interview area near the clubhouse where you get guys. I'll look to see what people did. Um, if I see a little bit of a lull, that's when I'll get out and go walk holes just to see the course, see how it's playing, see how many people are there. Um, you know, I end up seeing all the holes at least once the whole during the, during the entire time. And then the next day, you know, I kind of size it up again on Friday, Tiger would have been teeing up later, teeing off later. So I got there earlier to keep an eye on some of the other guys who finished before him and then followed Tiger after that. Yeah. When the tournament is over, um, at the end of the day, players are already left or they're leaving the, the patrons are leaving. Do you guys get to stay in the media center until your stories are done or do they kick you out of there at a certain time? Nope. We're there the whole time. Uh, and there's people from various time zones around the world who might be in there very late. It's my understanding. It doesn't close. I think you could probably be in there till four in the morning if you wanted. And uh, once, once the tournament starts, it's, it's open 24 seven. They might not open. It's I think, I think on other days they open at 6 Mm AM, but uh, so yeah, no, there's no, there's no restrictions there. You have assigned seating in there. Correct. Okay. Yeah, well, I know you're used to it, and I've gotten used to it, is you do other tournaments, and it's not assigned seating. So if you don't get there and carve out your spot on the tables or the desks or whatever they have, so I found myself sitting in the corner a couple times just on a <laughs> chair trying to either write something or look at the images I shot, you know, right. like that. So that would probably be actually a relief to be able to know that you got a chair somewhere to go oh, sit, yeah. sit down. Yeah. Yeah, you got to, there's, there's got to be, you have to have a, a workspace. That's how they view it. Yeah. You know, so you can leave some stuff there. You can leave a few materials behind and know it's going to be there when you come back. Um, and uh, so, yeah, everybody's got an assigned, an assigned spot. Over the years, you've seen a lot of players come and go. We all have. Um, some of them either quit playing on the tour or they now what's the corn fairy tour. They've dropped back to that, trying to make their way back up mm-hmm. to the big tour. Some of them have gone overseas to play and I'm not talking about live. They just went on other tours because for whatever reason, if, if you were going to pick one of those guys and this is, you got to dig into the memory banks here, Bob, but somebody that we thought would be, do really well and then they just kind of faded away you know who would that be yeah you know what there's a good name that comes to mind because we were just discussing them internally the other day it's chad campbell 
who 20 years ago um, was in that final group at the PGA Championship with Sean McKeel mm-hmm. at Oak Hill, where it's going back this year. And, uh, you know, Campbell was going to be the next best thing. Uh, he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated once. He lost in a playoff at the Masters to uh, the, the one that was with Cabrera and Kenny Perry. Yeah. You know, and, uh, uh, and you know, he only ended up winning a couple of times on tour, three or four times. That's it, you know. And I, I saw where he was playing in a Corn Ferry event this week, Corn Ferry Tour. You know, so he's still toiling along. But, um, you know, there's, there's a great example, and there's tons of them. You know, there's guys we thought were going to be really, really great. And, um, you know, it never really, they never really panned out. I mean, you mentioned Liv. I mean, Charles Howell won, out, won a Liv event earlier this year. Charles Howell was like the deal when he came out of Oklahoma State. Right. Now, he's had a very successful career money-wise, made a lot of money. But he only won three times on the PGA Tour, you know. Um, he was, he, and I'm not knocking him. He, he was a very, very good player, but he did not win much. He, he made, he made a career out of finishing 15th, 20th and making a ton of money. Yeah. He was never, he never worried about not being exempt. And I, I don't want to underplay that. It's hard to do to, right. to stay among the top, the elite, but he never broke through and won a lot, which is sort of our gauge. Right. And uh, so, yeah, there's a lot of examples of guys like that. I'm not, I'm not sure people realize bob that and now with golf channel and all that you're seeing many many more events college events different things around the country like that but having covered the corn ferry tour uh when we had the event here for a number of years you could see all those people uh, all those guys and they were trying to uh, you know make the cut they were trying to get enough to points or money or whatever qualify to get on the big tour. And there's literally hundreds of them every year that try to work up to that. But, you know, you could certainly walk along that road and see a lot of bodies in the ditch as a, (laughs) it's kind of a bad analogy, I think, but I think it's true. I don't think we realize how many people actually try to get there. Uh, and then they find out either how tough it is or they just didn't have the game to, to hold on. There's dozens, if not hundreds of golfers who are just a fine line away from being out there. Yeah. You know, I think the elite of the elite separate, but the hundredth guy is not that much different than the 500th guy. Mm-hmm. And to be the 500th best at anything, still really, really good. And yet being 500th, you're, you're nowhere near it, you know? And so it is, I mean, you're talking about, you know, over the course of a golf tournament, a shot here or there, you know, um, maybe a shot a day. Well, those four shots can really make a huge difference. Right. And then, you know, where's your confidence? Where, how does it, you know, does it start, does it start to build up negatively? It's um, how do you get that consistency? How do you, you know, how do you turn the tiger was the master at turning 73 into 69. You know, he was going to shoot. He, he didn't have anything better than 72, but somehow shot 68, you know, or, you know, or turning a 75 into a 71. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of guys who can't do that when it's not their day. It's not their day. And they shoot a high number and they can get hot once in a while, but you need to be consistent. And uh, so that's 
you know, and there's a lot of inner demons in golf. You have a long time to think about things. You know, you're by yourself a long time between shots. You might be playing some obscure events, um, not making a lot of money. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, it's a lot of, a lot of downtime to think about all the negatives if you let it. Yeah. And, you know, it's, uh, at some point when you're that self doubt creeps in, which it does on all of us. Uh, but especially for those guys trying to, you know, break those barriers, I would think some mornings they probably wake up and this is just me going, what in the hell am I doing? You know? No question. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure guys have those second thoughts all the time. They wonder about, you know, should I be doing something else? Um, you know, there's, and this is the thing, there's no guaranteed money. And, uh, uh, you know, you're footing the bill yourself. You start to wonder, you start to press. Um, you know, uh, I'm not saying that that the guys who are at the top don't deserve it, but, you know, th there's, there's not much, you know, uh, recourse for a top guy these days he's got plenty of money that that having some a downturn isn't, isn't going to affect his is his livelihood so much you know it's not going to affect his his family or his his ability to you know to subsist or to pay his mortgage or if he even has one sure. you know so um that part of it is is where you know when you're a young guy starting out you know there's you don't have much money you need sponsors you're worried about paying them back whatever whatever the uh uh, case may be, it's a, um, it's a tough deal. Yeah. You know, you get out there. I've, I've heard a couple of them and just overheard them talking over the years and they were playing in Portland or wherever. And they'd say, yeah, when, you know, when I get here, then I can get, uh, more than just golf clubs from Titleist or whatever. And it's like, that's a long ways from here to there. Um, uh, it just seems like it because again, you've got dozens, if not hundreds of people trying to all do the same thing. So it's, it's yep. a tough road. It's a very tough road. No question about it. You know, and uh, it's, it can be pretty cutthroat. So. Yeah. Yeah. Bob Herring from sports illustrated. Uh, don't forget about uh, Bob's tiger and Phil book that came out last year. It's a marvelous book. If you haven't read it, I would recommend it. But, Bob, thanks for spending time with us today. Glad to do it. Thanks for having me. You bet. We'll be back next week with another edition of After Hours here on Grilling at the Green. Go out, play some golf, have some fun. Take care, everybody.